I am today. And during this season of uh, Thanksgiving, they are some of the people that I'm so grateful and I love them very much. And please turn your Bibles to the First Thessalonians. Before we get started, let's uh, pray. Lord, we thank you. We are thankful to be here this morning to worship you. I thank you that we can hear your message, and I pray that you speak through me. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And to get things started, I want to uh, share a story. I'm not sure if... Uh, hold on, let me see if this works. To get things started, I want to share a story, and I'm not sure if you already heard this, but I'm going to uh, share it anyway. This was about a devoted Christian or a disciple who promised to love and obey God all her life. She also promised that she would submit to her husband, and her husband was a real hard worker and worked real hard to earn money. But, you know, he wasn't a Christian, so he was a real miser with his money. He loved money more than anything else. So one day he said to his wife, Honey, when I die, I want to take all my money with me, and I want you to place all the money in the casket with me. I want to take it to the afterlife. So he's got, he got his wife to promise him this, that she would do this when he died. Her being a disciple, she agreed to his request and promised to put the money next to him when he dies. Then one day he died. And at the funeral, he was lying in the casket, and the wife was standing over him, and her best friend was standing next to her, comforting her. And just before they were getting ready to close the casket, the wife said, Just a moment. And she went to get a box and placed that box in the casket. After they rolled the casket away, the best friend said, I hope that's not what I think it is. And the wife said, yes, it is. It's all his money that I promised that I would put in there with him. I love God, and I don't want to lie. And that's what I said I would do. You mean to tell me that you put every cent in that casket? Yes, I sure did. I got all his money together, and I put it in my account, and I wrote him a check. And and if he can cash that check, he can have all the money. I think the sisters are loving that. A little too much. Hmm, that's a great idea. You know, this woman had great convictions, but she was also smart. And let's read in 1 Thessalonians. All right, hold on. Okay, Lynn, I think I'm going to need help. There you go, thanks. 1 Thessalonians, um... Chapter 1, starting verse 1. It says, Paul, 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Verse 2. We always thank God for all of, the, all of you, mention, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep convictions. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And the church here in Thessalonica was a church planted by Paul along with Silas and Timothy. When the church was planted, Paul, Silas, and Timothy did not stay there very long. Probably they had a couple of weeks before they got chased out. And they faced many obstacles from the Jews and all the persecution around them. And so the people in Thessalonica had to gain convictions quickly when the message of God was brought to them. And so Paul said they became a model because of their conviction. They became great example because of their faith. After a year or so, after planting the church, Paul was concerned about how they were doing because, you know, Paul was not able to visit. And so he sends Timothy to them along with this letter. And let's read on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 17. It says, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And let's go on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother, and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, we were with you. We kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, 
When I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about, your, about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray, and most earnestly, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What an awesome church, and what a great group of disciples. People remained faithful even after the people who brought them to the Lord were long gone. Their faith was not built on man. Their faith was not built on superficial things. Their faith was built on their conviction about God and God's word. The Thessalonians became a model church because they had heart. They had integrity and they had deep convictions. In the amplified version of 1 Thessalonians, um, verse 5, it says, For our preaching of the glad tidings, the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in its own inherent power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with great conviction and absolute certainty. Absolute certainty. What deep convictions. There were no doubts about it. There are things that we need to have deep convictions about if we are going to make it to heaven. Things in life will oppose us and challenge us. There will be storms and temptations in our life that will make us doubt. That's why we need to be absolutely certain. That's why our convictions need to be deeply rooted in God and deeply rooted in our knowledge of God. Deep convictions are learned through trials, through struggles, through failures, through ups and downs in life. And recently, my wife and I went through some challenges in our communication. You know, maybe similar to what Peter Revisa was going through. And once in, a, once in every full moon, we go through something like that. And, you know, we were just in our room, and I'm on the computer, and I'm probably the only brother that spent some time on the computer. You know, and things seem to be awesome. You know, we recently just had a date, and so things seem to be going uh, pretty well. And all of a sudden... The demons of pride came into our room. Came from one room and into our room. And, you know, we're just going about our day, and the next thing you know, you know, we're fighting these demons. And after a while, I'm just sitting there asking, you know, why can't we fix this thing? I don't know if you can relate to me, but it was one of those things. You know, I was tempted to pull out submission scriptures, but I've learned. You know, I've learned you don't do that with your wife when you are having bumps. You know, even men who are not part of the church know that. Don't do that. 
And I'm fighting these demons coming into our room and messing things up. You know, I was quietly working on the computer. All of a sudden, I hear sniffles in the background. And that's another thing I've learned, brothers. When you hear sniffles and your wife is crying, stop what you're doing. Don't ignore it like I did. You know, God has given that uh, weapon for a reason. I call that my wife's weapon. Now, that's what God gave them. They talk and they cry. And, you know, during our early stages of marriage, you know, whenever my wife showed tears, you know, a little tear here, you know, I would soften up and usually humble up. You know, what's wrong, honey? I'm sorry. I apologize for what I did. But over the years, can you relate, brothers? Over the years, I'm like, oh, you want to use your weapon, huh? Let me harden my heart. And that's what I did. You know, we harden our hearts to our wife's needs. You know, we finally got a fish, but when I go back and reflect on it, I think about what happened. What went wrong? I mean, you're just moving right along, then bam! And you're like, what happened? We were doing so good. We were in love. And now you question, why did I marry you? And you know what it was? It was lack of deep conviction. It was lack of humility. I'm grateful for the church. I'm able to open up like brothers, like, um, to brothers like Gio, Burns, Rodney, Juan, Chris Knock. You know, and other brothers that can give spiritual advice. It takes deep conviction to get advice because our nature is to be independent. And a lot of people get baptized, but not everyone has deep convictions. And really, after we get baptized, the chance that we make it all the way is not that high. But if we have deep roots in God and deep convictions about God, the higher our chances. Deep conviction is the belief that can keep us faithful when no one else is around. When life knocks you to the ground, and when people let you down, those are the convictions that keep you going. Amen. And some, peoples of deep, some examples of uh, deep convictions from the Bible is um, Jesus. He spoke with absolute certainty. When Jesus po- spoke, people said, no one has taught the way this man has taught. Because he spoke as someone with authority. And some of us might know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, when they replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. Deep conviction. Deep conviction is when John the Baptist opposed King Herod. He said with absolute certainty, it is not lawful for you to have her as your wife. It cost him his head, but he would not back down. 
Esther, she was a queen that could have said, it's none of my business. I'm already living in luxury. But because of her deep conviction, she risked her life and she ends up saving her entire people. What convictions? What makes a church, a strong church, is a body of believers with strong, deep convictions. It's disciples that have this. And you've got to ask yourself, if your conviction, is your conviction shallow or deep? Our goal is to be a strong church, right? Whether you're a disciple for 20 days or 20 years, it does not matter how long you've been attending church. It's about how you devoted yourself to God without compromise that makes you strong. Someone with deep conviction on the inside will have that showing on the outside. God needs men and women who have deep convictions inside and out. A group of people that I relate to in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel. Uh, In uh, verse 1, I love the scripture because these people were normal, ordinary people with problems. But then they rose up to what God wanted them to be. And it inspires me to learn from these people because God used these men to do incredible things in their lives. And tomorrow, I'm turning uh, 40-something. (laughs) 40-something. I think after 40, you know, we tend to forget. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes it's just nature taking its course. But tomorrow I'm turning 40. And I actually had to ask my wife how old I was. And I was relieved I was a a year younger. But anyway, as I get older, I tend to think differently than when I was in my 20s. Or maybe even when I was in my teens. But I lived my life differently when I was younger. I acted like I was young. I talked like I was young. I lived my my life like I was young. And I'm a little mature now. Just a little. But you know what? I still want God to do incredible things in my life. God is not done with me, and he's not done with you. No matter how old you are. And God is not done whether in our 20s or we're in our 80s. But let's read. Here in the Bible says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. When his brothers... And his father's household heard about it. They went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. This is a very encouraging scripture for me. Here we have 400 real brothers. These 400 men have their own issues. What kind of issues? Issues that you and I face today. The Bible says they were in distress. By show of hands, how many of us are in distress right now? Okay, you know, this message is uh, going to be encouraging for us. 
How many of us can relate? The Bible says these 400 men were in debt. How many of us are in debt? Okay, yeah, we got it right. We got the right crowd. We don't want to be in debt, but sometimes we just got to admit that, man, I think I'm in debt. And the Bible says they were what? Discontented. How many of us had a thought of discontentment? Okay, let me help you out. How about a moment of discontentment? I'm not even going to ask about lifetime of discontentment. But in modern paraphrase, these men were broke, busted, and disgusted. (laughs) And yet these men, these broke-down men, God changed them into awesome soldiers. These broke-down men became better known as David's mighty men. God changed them within a few years. These men became men of great faith. These men became known to have deep convictions. What will it take for us to gain deep convictions? And what will it take for God to make us into mighty men and women of God? I believe that one first point is that we've got to be willing to stand up alone for what is right. We've got to stand up to biblical principles, not what our emotions are telling us, not what I feel like today, not about taking a stand for man-made principles, not about taking a stand with pride and arrogance. And I'm not talking about stubborn desires. I'm talking about what's right because the Bible tells me so. And let's take a look at one of David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 23. Verse 9, it says, next to him, verse 9, it says, Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dode, the Ahohite. And in other versions of the Bible, it states that Eliezer was the son of Dodo. Now, that's messed up. And already it would take a lot of conviction to hang around Daddy Dodo. (laughs) Zaldi, son of Dodo. Not good. But anyway, as one of the the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. What a great scripture. The Bible says that Eleazar was a man who stood his ground for what God wanted, wanted him to do. He was a man who stood his ground alone. When others retreated, When others were too scared, he stayed firm for God. And many of us will be going into battle, will not be going to battles or war like Afghanistan or Iraq, although some of our our brothers or sisters are there or were there, but we will be going into other battles. 
And these battles could be ethical battles. It could be uh, purity battles, moral-related battles. It could be uh, relationship battles, emotional battles, health-related battles, character-related battles, marriage-related battles, and other temptations and testing battles. And these battles will come whether we like it or not. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 23, verse 2, it says, Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. That's in the Bible. Why? Because many times the crowd is usually wrong. Are you going with the flow in what everybody else is doing? Every week or even every day, we get a chance to demonstrate how deep our convictions when it comes to what the Bible calls us to do. And just this uh, past week, I had an interesting week. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Las Vegas with uh, my family. And um, if you've been there, you know, you know how it is. But it was uh, my first time going there. And I never really understood why it was called Sin City <laughs> until I got there. You know, I, I appreciated all the architecture and the different themes of each ho hotel, you know, the fountain and, you know, the fire uh, show. But when you go there, you really have to, ha to be prepared spiritually, and you have to be certain about your convictions. Everywhere you turn, there are things that can make you struggle and compromise. And I'm glad my wife was there because, you know, I always had the image of, um, you know, my wife is, in the back of my head, my wife is going like this. I'm watching you. <laughs> and so, you know, that kept, kept me in line. You know, it also helped when you're holding a child, you know, or pushing a stroll because, you know, no, no one tried to hand you those things. You know, they snap it and, you know, they, they try to get your attention. But... You know, I was glad I was there for only a few days, but if you were there for a long time, you know, it would be easy to do what everyone else is doing. It would be easy to compromise. But when you leave today, you also will have a chance to demonstrate your convictions. And some examples could be when everybody at your workplace is ripping off the company, take a stand and do what's right. When others are goofing off and not doing the work, when others are coming in late or leaving early, you take a stand and do what's right. If you're a student at school and others are cheating on exams, others are doing drugs, others are cutting class, others are being promiscuous, that does not mean you do the same thing. You take a stand and do what's right. You say that it's not right, it's wrong, and I'm not going to do it. I am going to take a stand even if I'm alone. Take a stand like Eliezer did. And we all have a desire to fit in. You know, we all want to be accepted. And it's not just the teens. No, we got our awesome teens here, right? But we all want to be cool, you know, want to look cool. But we've got to stand up for what's right. 
And sometimes doing nothing is right either. And for me, there have been too many times in my life where I have kept my mouth shut when I should have done or said something that would have helped others. And that's what the world does. It ignores problems. It ignores the needs of people. And people need God, right? We can't keep our mouth shut when it comes to God. God is the only one that can solve the problems in our lives. We cannot model our behavior to what the world is doing. We've got to stop living our lives the way the world does. And what does that mean? It means we don't get our values from the TV shows that we watch. It means we don't get our business ethics from the world. We don't get our dating philosophies or marriage principles from the world around us. Men and women of deep convictions live different from the world around us. And going back to Eleazar, the Bible says he struck down the Philistines with what? Money? Wealth? No. A house? A car? No. Eleazar gained victory with the use of a sword. And it says here, his hand froze to the sword. And he held on to it until his hand grew tired. Brothers and sisters, what's our sword today? What are you holding on to to overcome the obstacles in your life? Is your hand frozen to the word of God? If you're not holding on to the word of God, you will be defeated. Are you still reading your Bibles? And I'm not talking to the young Christians. I'm talking to the old Christians, including me. Is your hand still frozen to the Bible? We've got to stand up for what is right, even if we're, we're alone. That was the first point. Amen. Second point, we've got to fight when everybody else flees. Let's look at another one of David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. <clears throat> okay. It says, Next to him was Shammah, son of Aji the Havarite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. What a great scripture. This guy, Shammah, defended this field and stood his ground in the middle of it. And what was the rest of Israel doing? They were fleeing. You know, too many of us are fleeing when we should be fighting. Shema shows us here where his convictions are. And he shows us that he's not going to fight on the sidelines. He's not going to fight, to fight behind other, pe- other people. He's not going to fight behind closed doors. He's not going to fight when everything is going well. He's going to fight in the middle of the field. When? When times are difficult. He stood out in the fight. Do you stand out in the spiritual battle? Or are you one of those fleeing? Are you fleeing because you got discouraged with your relationships? Are you fleeing because of the discouragements in your group? Are you fleeing because your life dealt you a blow? 
Are you fleeing because your kids are being difficult? Are you fleeing because of insecurities? And here, Shammah's attitude was, if you want to take this land, you are going to have to kill me for it. You are going to have to fight me for it. And where? In the middle of the field. It's on. It's time for us to take our stand and let Satan know that our field is not for sale. You want my field? You come and get it. It's on. It's time to defend what we treasure and what we love. It's time to rise up to the enemy. This place is not for sale, and you can't have it. We got to say it like we believe it. And really, what was this lentil field? You know, lentil, it's a, be- it's a field of uh, beans and peas. And that's what the um, lentils are. <clears throat> Shema must have loved his beans and peas. No. And he says, and you're going to have to take me down if you want this field. And some of you might be saying, well, I can't relate. I can't relate. I don't like beans and peas. I'm not fighting for no beans and peas. All right, wise guy. Your field of lentil may not be beans and peas, but it can be your one, your children. We need to let Satan know that our children are not for sale. And so, what do we have to do? We need to take a stand and fight and not run. Defend it. How? And all of us with kids have to open up our Bible and teach our kids what the Bible says. Pray with our children. We love our children too much. And husbands, including me, Our field of lentil can be our wives. And we need to let Satan know our wives are not for sale. And the devil needs to know that we will take a stand and fight for our wives. You fight for her like the day you were courting her. And that's for me too. That means we need to lead the way. It means that our wives cannot be the one that is more spiritual than us. It means we lead the way in humility. It means we lead the way in our household when it comes to God. Wives, your husbands are not for sale. And I know some of you are thinking, how much? (laughs) Stop it. Hmm, a few thousand will get me out of debt. (laughs) Stop it. We need to fight. You need to fight for your husband. If we need to get help, get help. But we have to defend it. And our field of lentil can be sharing Jesus with others. Do you remember when our lives were changed because of Jesus? That our lives could have been worse without Jesus. Are we loving people enough to help them get to know Jesus? And I want to lift up my wife. Now I get to that once in a while. But, yeah, she is awesome. But a few months back, she wanted to repent in sharing her faith. You know, and then she met Shannon, 
Shannon's here with us. And now Shannon, with her husband Brian, you know, if you guys haven't met them, they're awesome. And now they're studying the Bible. And, you know, we could have not met them if my wife, uh, Marisol, did not stand her ground. And so we got to ask ourselves, do we still love sharing Jesus with others? As a matter of fact, I dare ask if we, if we still love Jesus. You know, Jesus saved you, and he wants to save many more people. Last week was our Harvest Festival, and it was really awesome. I, you know, the kids really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it, and I know many of you have enjoyed it. But, you know, there were many friends there, you know, many families that came. Are we sharing about how Jesus changed our lives? And just like the church in Thessalonians, God is looking for men and women of character. Men and women who are not afraid of living the life with biblical convictions that is deep within their souls. The world needs people that cannot be bought, who puts character above wealth, people who possess great felt, great faith, People who do not hesitate in taking risks for God. People who will, who will not compromise when it's wrong. People who are true to their friends during good times and bad times. People who have conviction inside showing on the outside. People whose ambitions are not just for themselves. People who will not just do things just because everybody else is doing it. People who are not ashamed to take a stand for truth even when it's unpopular. God is looking for men and women with deep convictions. Don't you want to be a person of deep conviction? We are in a spiritual battle and let's be a church that will stand up for what is right and let's fight when others are fleeing to God be the glory. 